This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Thank you for tuning in. This is a multi-platform broadcast of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. You are experiencing us on social media. You're also listening to us on 90.1 FM KPFT, Houston's community station where it all started. And you're also watching us on www.fox26houston.com. I'm Tony Diaz. And today, we are welcoming back home and celebrating one of our own, Lupe Mendez, as he takes his throne as Texas Poet Laureate. This is such a big deal for us. It is great to welcome Lupe. First of all, congratulations, hermano. You're the Texas Poet Laureate. Yep, yep. I'm uh, I'm still trying to get used to it, but uh, so far so good. Uh, it's good to be with everybody. Uh, bienvenidos to Nuestra Palabra. Uh, this show's amazing. You should keep listening and watching and doing all the things. And of course, listen, there's all kinds of media that will be hitting you up. And we want you to be on corporate media a lot. But... This is a special interview because you are one of our own. And I want to really celebrate the fact that Nuestra Palabra is where it's at as a movement because of your efforts. Among the efforts of many people like yourself who are cultural accelerators, who are brilliant and so generous with their brilliance. But you were there when Nuestra Palabra was at Chapultepec Restaurant back in 1998. You were there when our Latino book festivals were seen as crazy dreams and people said hey there's no way that's going to succeed and we wound up drawing 30,000 people to the George Brown Convention Center and you helped manage uh, almost 400 volunteers you were there as we helped our writers become applicants to MFA programs as well as getting your own MFA it was beautiful to see you get published nationally for the first time because you've been published often and it's great to see you read on the stage um we're going to talk about all of that we're going to talk about and celebrate Tintero projects we have a special announcement about a grant that Tintero projects has just received but it's wonderful that someone that's given so much to the community ascends to the statewide recognition which is in the book so we're going to have you read a lot of poems and talk about a lot of your work because I do want to editorialize one more moment, Lupe. You've done a lot to help others from our community to the BIPOC community, to new writers, to students. This is a moment to celebrate your work because at the end of the day, you are a brilliant poet. And it's nice to see others acknowledge it. So today we gotta treat you like that. But, but once again, from the bottom of my heart, the bottom of the hearts of all the Libra Taficantes, your co-founder of the Libra Taficantes as well, and that's a big deal because they're bad in books again, brother. Correct. Correct. We'll be talking about that again, too. Okay. Um, but, mira, 
want to celebrate you, brother. Thank you for giving so much to so many of us. Thank you, man. Thank you. It means a lot. On that note, brother, unleash some of that poetry. Give us the title. Right. Right. Tell us where it's from, and then let it flow, Manu. Uh, so I will be, uh, my thanks to Tony and everybody in Nuestra Palabra. Um, it is, it's been, ooh, it's been some years. I didn't have gray hair when all of this started. Um, so uh, the, I will be sharing a few pieces, some from my last collection, uh, Why I Am Like Tequila. Um, I already have the tab. Uh, two poems that have come out between that time of the book coming out. Uh, and then two pieces from uh, my latest collection that hasn't seen light of day because I'm shopping around the book. So, um, um, okay. Um, the exorcism on TV, the night hurricane Alicia fell. Uh, due to the, this is the epigraph, uh, due to the severe damage, the name uh, Alicia, quote unquote, uh, was retired in the spring of 1984 by the World Meteorological Organization and will never be used again for an Atlantic hurricane. It was replaced with, quote, Allison, end quote, for the, uh, for the 1989 season. Coincidentally, in, 20, in 2001, the name Allison was retired after striking the same area as Alicia. National Hurricane Center, 2010. My family split up that day. My mother, white scrubs, dressed for her sick people in the head job. My father, quiet, watched black clouds, white flashes cracking. The sun hadn't offered a thing. I couldn't understand the switches and swirls on the screen, the buzz, the ripples, the arrows that pointed across the TV. But I felt the swoon. The house swayed with the wind. I smelled sea salt. It made me jerk, mess up my horse picture I was drawing. Brown and black and yellow hair. I heard the seagulls. They laughed as they flew away. I drew them too. Saw them as they joined the rest of the people in cars and their lights. Those that ran from the sea. I told my father I was worried about mother, said she would be home that night. He kept working in between swigs of Miller Highlight and duct tape. I helped him X all the windows in the afternoon between trips to the bar next door. I prayed for food. I did not eat that day. In the distance, the breaks and the waves grew tall, throwing up jetty rocks on the seawall, crushed a man covered him in granite and sea foam. He didn't even make a grip when he died. He, his hand was limp. His wrist was stuck between asphalt, the glistening rock, the size of a Datsun he was walking towards. The smell of fish remained when they pried the piece of jetty off. He died with a basket full of croakers. He once shined shoes at the Hotel Galvez. He knew everyone and told my father tales about old hurricanes being brutal lovers and about bitter women who found him out in a cheat. He sat by the waves a lot, taught me how to make paper boats float in the waves, and taught me how to fly kites in storms. On the TV that night, I watched a white girl 
whose head spun around, who spoke like a demon voice, who beat on her mother through a dresser at her, who made the flower-filled walls of her house shake, who made the red stop sign from the corner of the block fly through the window, made the wind howl and gnarling rain, who made the door splinter right next to me, the TV blinked black, flung against the wall, not a picture moved but I still heard her laugh, a bit of maple wood in my arm. The door was gone, and out of its space the light of the town emptied, only the black, only the lanterns and the twigs, the bushes and the sand, the colored cars and telephone wires circled overhead floating in the breeze. Um, Mexican Island. I live in 45 granite rocks in long rows. This is a pier, a walkway, a moment, a jettison that is out in the gulf just past the beach. The world changes here. The moon takes care of me. I am drawn, moonlight, a brush of sea air foam against the jagged that makes this place. I park one block away. It is always dark when I walk the seawall down the staircase on 35th. I just sit at the edge where mist collects, where here skin turns sticky salt, where city lights die. I face the gulf, the storms, white flashes, shadows in the gray, me quito las chanclas, de perdido stretch toes, sand spreads under a midnight foot. I take a swig of thunder, cheap whiskey, unos tragos de mezcal. I have sat with sad eyes, I will sit with sonrisas. I shall bring my media costilla here. I confess to the stars. I imagine myself with someplace else. I watch the night charge, watch the tides bruise and break as much as they swell up. I picture me, thrust myself upon the color horizon, jump away into the sea. I will not be able to. The current along the rocks will drown me, rip me. This is the act, wishing, the act of island, being at home, longing to be mid-air, to be caught in one large wave, to disappear into something deep. This is where the island bends, this jetty. This is the closest finger to the ocean. I live here, I live, I hold myself against this want. celebrating the work of Texas Poet Laureate Lupe Mendez. He is part of the backbone of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, co-founder of the Libre Traficante Movement, co-founder of Tintero Projects. But we're here to talk about his poetry, his art, which you got the evidence right there is very potent. There's a lot we could say about the pieces. Um, I'm going to resist talking about the form because we could look at that Correct. on the page and see it hold up. And I do want to talk about your origins in Galveston because you're doing a lot of things there. Not only do you have a narrative component to these works, seems to be about you, 
So I'd love to hear more about that. But also, people, maybe I'm wrong, but I think this is the case. They don't understand the Latino, the Mexican, Mexican-American heart and soul of Galveston. You, you even mentioned Galvez, you know? I mean, <laughs> we are ingrained in Galveston, yet invisible, to, to my view. Um, would you agree with that? And how does your work navigate all that? It's funny because I'm actually so um, I have been working and creating and building a career in poetry and writing uh, as an artist, as an organizer uh, from Houston. Right. So I moved here when I was 18, went to college, uh, live here in Houston. Um, and I am finally I'm 45 now. Um I'm at a point where I can go back home and help create and build um, more access because there's already a little bit happening on the island, but help build more access to literary art back home. Um, and now I get to do it with like expertise. Like I've had enough practice to do it in, uh, in spaces all around Texas, but now I get to go home and, and kind of do it that way. Um, the history of the island in terms of the, the, what I've always known as like the silent minority, right? Like, um, so Galveston is, uh, home to the oldest, uh, English speaking newspaper, um, in the state. Um, I think it actually predates the, the actual state, but it's also one of the first spaces where, uh, Spanish, uh, conquistadores landed um, uh, within Texas, and so the the history of the island it predates the the, the colonization that occurred later um, with with white settlers when it came to be uh, a part of the U.S. And so that history is also written into spaces and places. Like there are streets, um, there are things that are um, colonially Spanish. Um, but it also lends itself to that indigenous level of record uh, that Karankawa lived in the region that is the barrier island, uh, the west end of the island as well. Um, and so I, I take that to heart as I have always tried to build a sensibility to the writing I create. Um, I keep that in mind and I carry that as much with me as possible. Um, all the the... God, the, the levels by which... I understood Latinidad growing up uh, at home were like, it, it was, I always, I think I've occasionally told this story. The first time I walked around campus at the university of St. Thomas, um, I think I must've been, must've been like the second weekend on campus. Um, there were four beautiful young ladies who were walking in the upper quad um, all totally Gucci out like gold necklaces, gold rings, Gucci bags, high heels, like, uh, black clothes and they were beautiful gorgeous but when I heard the Spanish that came out of their mouths my jaw dropped and I I raced back to my dorm I picked up the phone and I called my mom and I was like ma we have money like it'd be it befuddled me like there were there were Latinos who had dough who were rich and I who spoke a Spanish that was so eloquent I'd never heard it and then my mom was like oh pobrecito you've only ever known this part of Latinidad where everybody's poor 
and nobody has anything. And I, I, I sat with that knowledge. I was like, I've only seen one aspect of what this is. And so I was grateful to be able to move to a space like Houston, but also reflective of what were the evidences of the things about Latina that I grew up with. Like we had shops and spaces. My parents used to tell me of the, the one Spanish language movie house that existed on the island where they would go on dates to see a film, which was, I think, like 15 cents to see old black and white uh, Mexican, golden age Mexican cinema. Um, and I found that amazing. Like those were, I, I was not, I didn't get to experience that in my youth, but there were other spaces that were landmark spaces that community revolved around, um, especially dance halls uh, on the island. Um, and so I, I carry that and I, I look to that. And so as I'm coming back to the island uh, to do all this community work to help build other programming that uh, reflects a literary landmark, um, it's in conversation with all those old spaces as well. Like I'm, I'm grateful to have that opportunity to work uh, and to reminisce, like as we're planning stuff, I'm like, Hey, does this place still exist? Well, if it does, let's consider that. And so it's, it's, it's kind of cool to be able to come back home and do some of this work, but now I get to do it with a, a very professional profound, like, Hey, I kind of know some things. Maybe let's try this. Um, so yeah. I think I hope that answers the question. Very long-winded. Sorry. Not at all. Not at all. Because there's a lot to touch on, especially because our history. I can be generous and say it's being ignored, or I can be uh, more direct and say it's been erased. Um, yeah, that it's systematic. It's so systematic. You, know? um, you mentioned the role of Galveston. Um, I would argue that uh, Dagoberto Gilb's anthology Echuentejas, an anthology of Texas-Mexican literature, makes the case that Mexican-American lit has an origin in Galveston and because the first the first documents in that anthology are Cabeza de Vaca talking about Galveston. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, so so uh, it's wonderful to see you infuse our history with tanto cariño in a brilliant way. You're humanizing us as you create this art. Um, I've been able to pick apart community aspect things that unless you grew up brown on the island, you wouldn't have known. Like, and they're very raw moments. Um, uh, in my first collection, uh, we practices for quinceañeras happened at one tennis court. Like if you were having a quince, <laughs> it was at a tennis court. There was a lady, La Senora Berta, like she had chalk. She nobody played tennis in that put line, nobody played tennis in that place, and she X'd every spot. And that's where, like, if there were kids around that area, yeah, like you, you like that was that's where you like when you saw a big old group of kids, it was somebody's kids, and they were practicing. She had a boom box and some chalk, and (laughs) work, and but but that was part of how we grew up like there were whole diplomatic conversations between couples people that were like trying to fix things after a fight and it was all in one spot and i i'd always that had always stuck with me even as i was leaving to go to college it was like what would i run into when i got to houston and uh comparatively it's 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 different and and it, like it, it it stands apart and and it it's a good reminder of like, yeah, I did take these things with me. I always wondered if I like lost any of that as I was moving 
into a space like Houston and seeing the rest of the state. No, the truth of the matter is it actually like shines forward in such really great ways. So that's awesome. Well, I tell you what, I've got so many more insights I want to dive into, but we want to celebrate your poetry. So uh, your experience in Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having to say across all of our platforms, social media, you're, you may be tuning in to hear this on KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston's Community Station. Maybe you're watching it on www.fox26houston.com. I'm Tony Diaz, joined by Texas Poet Laureate, Lupe Mendez. Lupe, introduce the poems, tell us the titles, tell us where they're from, push some copies of your book, and, and flow, mano, flow. Uh, this, thank you. Uh, this poem, uh, How Candles Are Made, is from the May 2020 issue of Poetry Magazine. Um, I wrote this dedicated to um, Jose uh, Escobar um, and his family, uh, Rose Escobar, as he returned. They were reunited. He was one of the first individuals in Houston uh, who had been affected by then um, a particular president's immigration policy that had separated families. Um, and this was, uh, I wrote in celebration, there's so many things that were not going right at the time that I wanted to write a poem in celebration. Um, how candles are made, uh, the epigraph. It was hard for me, but I still kept hope because I knew that my wife was by herself. Jose Escobar quoted, quoted in, Houston area man returns home after sudden deportation in 2017. Houston Public Media, July 2019. A candle is made of paraffin wax, made of petrol, crude oil, debajo de la tierra, donde viven los difuntos. When I say difuntos, I mean we come from seeds. A candle is a spine that holds all our bodies. Our bodies are pools of nothing crude, when we pass on, we're so full on deseo, on wanting. Some kind person crosses our arms for us to help carry the things we hold on to. We want dreams to warm us in this deep sleep. Our bones are the last to melt away. A vela is made of all of us, all of us bones. A slick dream in the shape of a cylinder, a spine that gets lit we glare, become light, and sometimes when you look at Avela's tongue on fire, you become lost in the moment. You place everything into a flicker. Time is silent. That's what a wish is. Avela is a line lit on nights when you are in La Union and she is here in Houston. You are far from each other and your dreams fit into a wick. It is a slow burn. And sometimes, even when the body breaks, the backbone doesn't. Light up again. When rooms are full of shadows, there's one candle standing until there are two. And in your house, there are finally four standing together. That glow is up. We watch this in the slender wisps of smoke building in your home. We watch your fingers meet. You are Candle skins that spade a yellow touch. You are a burn of molten heart in a single llama. A candelabra that moves across every line in the sand, erasing every border of a room, every baseboard, 
Tonight, I light a vela for you, but you shine brighter. Together, you are always. Stay together. Rules at the Juan Marcos Huelga School, even the unspoken ones. This should be posted in every classroom until the end of the school year. One, no more than one child out of the classroom at a time they might run away. A monarch butterfly tugged in the direction of the wind. Two, the upstairs classes will not make excess noise because there are no walls between the classes and the noise can carry downstairs too. Noise that needs to be made should flame out in a bonfire, out on the roof, where sunlight can hear it all. Three, any mothers coming into the classroom, send them to the principal's office unless they are teacher's helpers. They need to go to help the principal birth a school that can spell and speak the words revolucion and work and hands and huelga. Four, no running in the hallways or the stairwells. Wait for nighttime, children. When you can run and race around in the dark and the cool of the trees yelling, you caught a star on the tip of your tongue, then you will realize you ran around till morning and it is the dew on the tips of tree leaves you taste. Five, no screaming or shouting in the classrooms, hallways, or stairwells. Shout on paper, mijo. Write boldly in a book in the middle of an open field in the streets in the classroom. Make sure your voice shrills. Six, no throwing of paper or trash on the floor. In my class, I will teach you how to throw Molotov cocktails, bright orange ones that whistle in the air. And when they smash on those crazy school laws, they will burst in a bright yellow, the scent of lemon burnt wood that will take over for a few days. Seven, no one can go to Papa Burger. In the future, the streets are still the same, and in December, on a Tuesday afternoon in 2016, one of your descendants will be stabbed merely for standing in the day. The north side knows scar, knows body, when it needs to mourn. Eight, if you take your class to the park, be sure that everyone crossing the streets, going and coming, move in packs. March the streets together. Keep the body flickering. Make the voice resist quiet. This going, this coming is resistance. Nine, all shirts will be buttoned. This is how we mean business. You come to school bien fino, and we will teach you the four winds, the reason we are always armed to the touch of a blade. We are always blades bien filosos. Ten, be sure that your classroom is reasonably clean before you let out the class at the end of the day. One day, all of these classrooms will no longer hold any of us. Leave no evidence we were here. We exist in the whisper, the tender cinnamon strings in muscle. Marcha, ya. the poetry of texas poet laureate lupe mendez i got a bunch of questions i'd love to hit you up with let me just put them on the table sure uh, we may or may not get to all of them because i do want to get to more poems i do want to talk about the better projects i do want to talk about book bands i want you to do that um let me just two, two lines two lines from the works um and the first one erasing borders i thought okay all right all right and then uh 
second poem, you're going to talk about the schools and uh, teaching the throw Molotov cocktails and destroying the rules. Uh, I'm going to stop there, brother. Uh, take either of those questions or make another one up or give us a little more background on the schools. También, uh, have at it. So um, there is a poem that was written by um, Yesenia Montilla. Um, and she was uh, writing to a mutual friend um, who was dealing with uh, a similar situation with a with a, a family separation. And we had talked about how when you look at the title of the poem was Maps. Um, and I it was a tip of the hat to that. Um, the idea that borders are lines drawn on maps, that they don't really exist, that you could draw a line in the sand. And the water will wipe it away. The actual only physical line that actually exists is where the water meets the shore. And even then, because of global warming, that will also at some point maybe disappear. And so um, that line in the poem was a tip of the hat to that. Um, the second piece, funny, like as I was writing all these pieces, I'm, I'm writing on the history of the Houston Huelga schools um, the resistance of creating community-based schools uh, as a way to boycott and protest the unfair, like, use of Mexican populations as pawns to to checkbox um, what desegregation was in the seventies, and the the law was illegal. Like the 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 process by which they were creating, you know. Uh, desegregated schools was not fair. Um, and so um, a complex series of, of events and like ideas occurred. And so I was writing the piece in terms of what does a Molotov look like? How does that, that crude invention for war look like when you are resisting an education? Like, is it the physical bottle of liquor with a rag lit on fire or is it the use of the body to continue learning and and all of the yamas that come out of that is is what you've learned and what you've acquired um just by continuing to uh, engage and consume uh books and texts and knowledge and and ideas and imagination and dreaming and so um it was all of that wrapped in there and i did not there was a yeah, I would say maybe like 99% of me was was nowhere at all imagining that as this book is like doing what it's doing, that we would be here again having to deal with book bans and now the conversation about critical race theory and schools and what these new laws that have been passed, none of that was originally a part of what I was thinking. But as this book comes out, it's, it's going to end up sadly like kind of sneaky sneaky making a statement towards that so so yeah all that's in late and it wasn't it wasn't i didn't foresee that happening but it's kind of cool that it's doing that work so uh yeah that's that's uh oh why not like that's how it's working out well i mean you're also touching on perhaps the thing to learn is that these attempts to suppress our voices and histories and to get books out of the hands of our youth are, are organized at tenure clips. So it is wise that we keep creating art. We keep building in our movements. Um, you know, hats off to our crew with the Libertad Ficante movement. We're some of the co-founders. Shout out to 
uh, Ryan Parras, Laura Razo, Diana Lopez. We're not here right now, but they're here with us in spirit as we recognize the 10-year anniversary, which is a whole year of work, which will lead into the 25th anniversary of Nuestra Palabra because this movement against intellectual freedom and intellectual thinking and critical thinking They've got a movement going. We're going to respond with 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 a with our own movement, which we've been building on. Um, that's a whole other show. However, <laughs> I want to point out though that you are experienced at helping to create movements. We've talked about your role in Nuestra Palabra with the Libertad Picantes. Let's celebrate then, um, because we do want folks to understand. So Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say is a movement. Don't mistake it for a nonprofit group, which it is. It's documented as one. Don't mistake it for a group that creates art for art's sake. It is a movement. Part of it is documented as a nonprofit. We're a 501c3, and under our umbrella, we're happy to announce that the BIPOC Arts Network Fund, which is doing great work and funding many organizations, has granted different funds, some to get this show going, and also one for your group, Tintero Projects. So, um, gave my thanks to NP, um, the, the work that we've done within Nuestra Palabra to showcase and provide, like proliferate and, and, and speak to like all the literary Latino artists that, uh, are writing and doing that work from an international standpoint, uh, from a national standpoint, from a regional standpoint. Um, like we've done that work for years and, we kind of built out um, Tintero projects uh, with the blessing of Nuestra Palabra mm-hmm. as a a like a Gulf Coast arm. Uh, the, like we love you, um, uh, with the idea of a going back to the root. Like we used to do the showcases for Nuestra Palabra, and then you know to continue doing this amazing work. And peace had to morph over the years, right? It's mm-hmm. gone from. Uh, the showcase to then the book festival to the radio show uh, to the, how it exists now. Um, and so I wanted to kind of branch and figure out, well, what are the younger kids doing? And so we looked at creating um, Tintero projects with that uh, aspect of it. Like, can we go back and look at readings and workshops and uh, access points for writers here in the Gulf coast region? So we're in communication and work with like familia from New Orleans, uh, from Mobile, all the way back down to the Rio Grande Valley and the Gulf being the one consistent piece. And so um, we've been able to collaborate with a lot of other organizations. Um, and so thankfully, and thank you for Nuestra Palabra because we got a, a, a BIPOC uh, Arts Network Fund grant. Um, for a certain dollar amount that is actually going to actually help us continue that work. Um, uh, we're actually in the works right now. We're working with uh, crossing fingers. It finalizes. Um, we're, we're considering and looking at working with Bull City Press out of uh, uh, North Carolina uh, to start a, um, a Latinx national level chat book prize. Uh, and so if that works out, like that's dope, right? Like it's an entirely Southern concept. Like you take a state like North Carolina, you take a state like Texas, like Southern through and through mm-hmm. and you flip that on its head, on its side and say, there are Latinos that look like this and do these things and they're literary. And here's what that can look like in print. Um, and so 
combining all that idea and putting that out there is is part of what that work looks like. Um, and so that's a lot of lays the ground route. We're just that one branch that kind of sticks out going left. <laughs> well, and I think what I'd like people to understand is that, um, one, you've given so much time and energy building several movements, helping so many writers. We have to celebrate you as a poet. And Texas is doing it finally, which is good. Uh, also, though, that I think it's clear that you mentioned we're experts. We're experts at this. So we are coming up with specific vehicles to encompass many different projects, but our community has been neglected for so long and there's so much talent that there's so many ways to go and we're working in unison. The movement keeps growing and people have to understand that this is a huge movement just in time to make people stop banning. The, 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 you know, I don't want to dwell too much on that. I'm, here's what I'm going to add. Yeah. I, want to, I do want to remind people that in 2012, Arizona officials enforced a ban of Mexican-American studies. If you didn't know that our history and culture were banned in the United States of America, think about this. The erasure of our history was erased. We're experts at this. We, we helped form a group that kept that ban from spreading. We teamed up with the Gente of Tucson. We helped spark a movement across the Southwest, across the entire U.S. Our community came together, not just our group, came together to overturn that racist law. We're on the watch right now for these bans. I don't want to get too far into it because we're talking about your book. We're talking about your work right now specifically. And, and we got a lot of time to work on that and do stuff about it. I want to talk about more of your poems. We do have time for a couple more poems, Lupe. Because I know all these issues we could talk about for months worth of shows. So I'm going to put that on the side and demand <laughs> the people are demanding that you flow with some more poetry. Because only Eric can say, it's Lupe Mendez here in Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers have in their say across the internet, throughout Texas, throughout Galveston, throughout the Southwest. What you got for us, Mano? Come all on. Right, so uh, these are newer pieces. Um, actually, I haven't read these ones out loud. Um, these are the collection I'm working on now um, is based on the Houston Huelga schools, the history of the Houston Huelga schools. Um, and with the blessing of Dr. Guadalupe San Miguel, uh, who wrote the only book that exists about the Houston Huelga schools, uh, Brown, Not White. Um, and so with his blessing, I kind of jumped forward and uh, picked up the baton. He passed the torch and was like, Hey, add to it. Cause there's not, there's this, this is it. And as I'm coming into putting this book out there, I realized that this will be the only other book about it. So there's going to be maybe two books, knock on wood, that I can get this thing published. But so this is what it is. Um, so this is uh, two entries from that collection. Um, and so this is uh, Welga Schools Open, August 1970. Uh, yes, schools were desegregating in Houston in 1970. I'm 45. I was born in 76. The people who lived through this are still alive. Side note, shock and awe. <clears throat> Uh, Welga schools open August 1970. Permanent school open at Our Mother of Mercy Catholic Church, 4000 Sumpner. The school will have some 11 teachers, volunteers, their services, and five have already put to work. Special day classes will be held at St. Patrick's Chapel, 4918 Cochrane. The space, this school only to take a small number of children the day our mother of mercy, we have a bus and a few cars, but 
we could use some more to bring the children to school. Late flash. This story was already printed and out before the news came. The Huelga school will not be at Mother of Mercy Church after all. Our Mother of Mercy was not willing to let the Catholic Church of, of the boycott use their school, but a rent of 400 a month would have to be paid for the building. Unfortunately, the Mexican-American Education Council, nor the parents involved, are rich. Editorial comment. Since when has the exploitation by God's church come before the lives and education of his children? The first day at a Huelga school, August 1970. By the end of the day, I have a total of 20 kids. I wonder if any more niños will show up. I don't even have a final list of the students I will teach. Me faltan cinco. Some kids traen manzanas today, shiny, plump, delicate, in between small fingers at the edge of the desk. I only stare at the red, at the core, at the faces, at the core, at the heart, at the sight of this, this, this huelga. This huelga tastes a bit of bitter and sweet and crisp and juicy and small. I'm so nervous. I break all the long chalk pieces before lunchtime. The board isn't even that big. The kids keep asking why we can't go back to their home schools. And I tell them, some people don't want you there, but that's okay because this place is better. This place is ours. Some of them smile. Some of them bring paper and pencils. Some of them won't come back tomorrow. Two of them bring an abuelita to watch over us. Una de ellas tells us a story of what it was like to not go to school. I'm glad the kids hear this. I'm glad we are here. I'm glad I'm getting paid. We are getting paid a dollar and sixty cents an hour for teaching. My classroom is used for weekend Bible study. This room is old, and so is the building. There are only four bathrooms for both the kids and the adults. We take turns. The school is full of kids and no books or meals or a room with no locks. I don't think I have enough paper or desks. I don't want to forget this first week. This is my first job. Tomorrow, I will bring the two bags of fruit I bought from the store. The bag cost one whole dollar. Man. <laughs> right? <laughs> Beautiful work about an intense period of our lives. Man. I, um, when will you finish this book? So the book is done. I am shopping the book around. Uh, I have sent it off to Haymarket Press, uh, Arizona Press, uh, New Mexico Press, uh, Duke. Uh, I think I'm going to send it to Notre Dame. I'm waiting to see if Wave uh, Wave Books will take it. Um, I'm thinking about sending it to Nomadic Press. So places that do multi-genre and places that do poetry and places that do nonfiction. So um I'm stretching I'm stretching out my uh my big writer shoes and this is both poetry but as well it's multi-genre it's anthropological work it's it's docu poetry and so uh, anthropoesia uh and so I'm I'm looking to push push that um out there so so people can see what all this is right brilliant brilliant work so let's see who's smart enough to to, to snap up the Texas Poet Laureate uh, about a topic that's not written enough. Hey, Lupe, yeah. thank you yeah. for all that you do. Congratulations on your current ascent, but it's going to keep going. It's a, it's a blessing to get to 
to march with you in these endeavors and to see see the world catch up to our imaginations. And thank you for being so generous with your, your genius, hermano. Anytime, man. Thank you for all the work you've done over the years. And uh, sigamos adelante. You are experiencing a special show with Guadalupe Mendez, Texas Poet Laureate. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say in multi-platform broadcasts across social media on 90.1 FM KPFT, also on www.fox26houston.com. I'm Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you at a march, a protest, or a party. Thanks for tuning in. Adiós.